you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or follow us on any of our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, at Live on Four Legs Podcast, and on Twitter, at Live on Four Legs Pod. This will be our year, took a long time to come, and I won't forget the way you helped me up when I was done, and I won't forget the way you said, darling, I love you, you gave me faith to go on, now we're there, and we've only just begun, this will be our year, everybody now welcome to live on four legs a definitive live pearl jam podcast and happy new year happy early new year to you if you're still listening to this in 2020 then i'm sure you want to escape 2020 as soon as possible and that's coming very very soon 2021 is here and hopefully you know new hope and uh you know all hope springs eternal and great things on the horizon no pun intended uh as we did the following week uh but you know we're uh, we're just kind of getting ready and kind of getting excited for a new year, and it's time for us as as a show to kind of refresh a little bit. We did some in- interesting series and a couple interesting series in in uh, in 2020 to keep you guys busy with around the world, and then Wrigley. Uh, and today we're gonna kind of go back to our best moments, especially with the guests that we were lucky enough to have on. And, uh, you know, for those of you who are new to the show, who didn't get to join in until later on, uh, this will be a good opportunity for you to get some of these stories in and get to hear from these great guests that had just were just glowing reviews of, of their time just listening to Pearl Jam and just being at shows. So Randy Sobel over here, John Ferraro over there. Hello. It's a clip show day. Hey, we Huzzah! made it. We made it through this year <laughs> somehow, some way. Yeah, somehow that happened. Um, it took what felt like three to six years, and uh, and now we're, here we are. We're basically in January of, of 2021, and, uh, y- you know, things things sort of happen in that time where you're just kind of, <laughs> you look back and you're, you have no idea what the fuck just happened and i think we'll all look back in 2020 and and you know for years to come there are going to be television shows there's going to be books there's going to be everything written about this year oh, I'm, I'm gonna tell my grandkids that i lived through 2020 for sure i i mean you you kind of have to like you know especially even your kids now you have a you have a real young one mm-hmm. and She's not going to remember. Maybe Lucas remembers a little bit of it, but yeah. Maya's not going to remember any of it. Yeah. She's she's real young, so she's going to be like, "What what happened? What happened during that time? What what was my family?" <laughs> Come going over through? here and let me tell you some stories. Yeah, yeah. we'll we'll be here for a while. Yeah. That's it's going to be like my parents always talked about what was going on in Vietnam, and like Nam was sort of there stories to me you know going through and and going to protests and things like that and knowing people that that got called over in the draft uh and i think pretty close to what that was is going to be what we end up telling our kids and grandkids and stuff so just keep the stories and hopefully these stories that we've shared have been much better than the ones that we've actually lived through in 2020 so we have about nine clips to play for you, and uh, they're all from great guests, special guests that came on to the show. And uh, the first one that we're going to play 
is actually the first guest that we had on in 2020. And this was back when, you know, things were looking real good, like early January, where we knew we were getting an album and, and things were feeling feeling okay. And uh, this actually it came at a really great time because, and I, I planned this perfectly, and I don't know if I planned it, you know, how. however I planned it, it, it all kind of happened in, you know, in the way that it was supposed to. So we had uh, WWE superstar, Hall of Famer, former world champion, Edge, uh, real name Adam Copeland. We had him on the show in January, and we recorded it, you know, a week or two before the last week of January where we ran it. And I did it on purpose because that last week of January is always the Royal Rumble. And you just never know what's going to happen in the Royal Rumble. And this Royal Rumble happened to be his big return after nine years of, you know, he suffered a career ending neck surgery and uh, neck injury. And it was a big, big deal that he came back. And, and, you know, we, we kind of made a lot of headlines in the wrestling universe when he was talking about the Royal Rumble and talking about the rumors and he deflected and, you know, he did what he had to do. He works that that's, that's what he, what he does. That's what wrestlers. He, he played us a do. little bit. Yeah. 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 That's okay. I, I kind of fell for it, but oh, well, <laughs> so I'm a Mark, whatever. Uh, and uh, yeah, but you know, aside from that, he, he just talked about his fandom and this was the first like non patron, non inside the community person that we were able to talk to and it made us feel like, you know, these people were part of our community too, that even though they're, they're famous or, you know, well-known, they're still have, they still have a, such a strong bond and strong connection to the band. So the clip that we're going to play for you here is him talking about Greenville, because that's the episode that we ran subsequent to this. And uh, when he talked about Greenville, uh, he, you know, was in the crowd, and he it was one of those things where once glorified G hit, I, I know, I, and you'll you'll hear him t- telling uh, the people that were around him and what was going on there. And then there's a cool story at the end where he got home and possibly wouldn't have made it out alive. So here's Edge talking about how great seeing Versus was live. So here's my story with the Greenville show, where, where they played Versus, you know, and they got to glorify G, and I went, oh, man. Oh, oh they're going to do this. They're going to do So I, I went by myself. I, I just went, I got to go down to the show. It's, it's an hour away. I'm going. I get there. There's these two young guys beside me, like 21 years old from Birmingham, Alabama. Right. Oh, we've never seen Pearl Jam, man. You know, we've heard like, you know, live and like even flow. And I'm like, okay, well, great. You're here. That's awesome. You're, you're going to be hooked, dude. Don't worry. So they get to glorify G and now I'm, I'm hitting these kids and I'm going, guys, guys, you don't understand what's happening. And, and, and these poor kids are like, Oh, okay, sir. Uh, yeah, th- I mean, it's a really good concert. I was like, yes, but you don't understand the significance of this. And like, <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm so stoked at this point. And, and these poor guys are just going, oh my God, this guy's insane, but he's really into this. <laughs> but by the end of the show, man, they were up on their feet. They were, you know, just uh, totally into it, like the rest of the audience. And, you know, when I talked to them after, I was like, so they were like, well, that won't be our, our last show. And yeah. that's, you know, you, you see them and you go, okay. The fact that they still, you know, put on such an amazing show and, and such a great, you know, 
set list after that. But but you're right. It was at the end of Daughter and, and going into Glorified G, and that's when I started hitting mm-hmm. those kids. <laughs> and, <laughs> and and that's when it it I was like, this is this is happening. Why is it happening here? I I'm not going to complain. It's happening here. You know it. And I think that was the, that, like you said, it was such a loose feel. And, and like you said, they knew what they had up their sleeve and what it would do, you know, to, to the core audience, which mm-hmm. I think for a Pearl Jam show is still probably 80%. You probably have 20% of the, oh yeah, Pearl Jam. They're the, that, the, yeah, okay. I remember them. And it's probably somebody like us that tells them they got to go or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but for and that's one thing that I really appreciate about Pearl Jam is because it is mostly people like us who really appreciate when something like that is happening and then can hit our neighbors and say, this is happening. <laughs> and what was so cool for me is, you know, I, I didn't tent out. I didn't, I, you know, it was none of those things because I was at home and, and taking care of stuff and everything. And I was like, okay, uh, I'm going to the show now. And I just hopped in my, my pickup. And I drove down to Greenville and I, I got there and just, I, I went by myself, but that's what I love about a Pearl Jam show. I can go by myself. And you can feel I'm like gonna, you're around a hundred different people that, yeah. 10,000 friends and you'll start having conversations and you'll connect on Pearl Jam, but then realize and talking to, to this community. Oh yeah. We're all very like-minded. Otherwise we wouldn't be here. Right. We wouldn't appreciate this band the way we do. So I, I went and um, went to the show blown away. I'm driving home. It's late. The girls are in bed when I get home. It's like, I don't know, three o'clock in the morning or something. I don't stay up that late. Like ever I'm in bed by 10. So I'm, I'm tired or whatever, but I get in, I'm closing up shop and I hear this huge thud and we have bear proof cans for a reason. So I go <laughs> on, I'm like, ah, sure enough, it's a, it's a bear and oh, it's trying to get into our bear proof can. So <laughs> man, all right, get, go on, get out of here, go on. And I'm standing beside my truck at this point, just a few, few feet from our front steps and the mood just changed. I don't know how else to explain it. And I look and about maybe 30 feet to my right, three other bears come walking up our cement. Oh, mountain. no. Because <laughs> we, we live on a mountain, right? So you can't see it until they crest up and they're on the you driveway. You see like they're, their eyes glowing or something like that, right? Yep. And I'm like, there's two cubs and there's two big ones. This is not good. So <sighs> I slowly slowly back up and i'm thinking to myself this is an insane night like i i i can't even process all of this i've just you know, just drove down to greenville by myself pearl jam play versus for the first time ever and i may get mauled by a family of bears <laughs> but you know what i'm gonna go out pretty happy <laughs> All considered. Say that on like, your obituary. Yeah, I'm thinking about it. it's like as the as the the bear is about to chew my face off, man. But at least I saw them do verses. On your obituary, it's going to say 11 time WWE champion, Hall of Famer, and saw verses minutes before he got mauled by a bear. <laughs> yes, just flayed by bears. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what eventually that story would get out and they'd write a song about it 
Oh, <laughs> yes. There would be tribute shows. The Vitality, Vitality <laughs> Foundation would, you know, all benefits are to Adam and, and hashtag, uh, you know, justice for, for Adam, for bears. And oh, yeah. We, there would we, be there'd be a I, ukulele song about fuck the bears. <laughs> <laughs> so Edge was really our first guest of that kind of stature and it kind of got us to thinking like okay we can do this we can get more people that are well known to come on the show and you know sort of get us a little bit more visible within different communities and and thankfully we had eight other guests that came on the show that did just that this year yeah and you know we we had planned on doing the big summer series for wrigley and, you know, we, we kind of were thinking about like, oh, you know, who after, after the Edge episode, we were like, oh, who can it'd be great to get some get some guests for those episodes. It'd be, you know, because, you know, they, they were so iconic in the in the Pearl Jam universe. There were a lot of people were there, big stadium shows, big iconic moments. So, yeah, we were able to we were able to pull together one guest for every every show yeah. that we did that we, we had a kind of a double episode weeks there for for a couple of weeks during the, the, the summer and. The next one we had was, uh, you know, noted rock journalist and podcaster Stephen Hyden. I just want to say, even though we've had so many great things that's happened on this podcast this year, which is amazing that we can say that because of how shit 2020 was, uh, I absolutely will go back to these Wrigley shows and just think so fondly of them. And it feels like a whole... You know, it feels like a lifetime ago that they happened and we did all five of them all in one month. And it was one of the biggest cram sessions that we had to do from, you know, recording. I think we got on schedule to record a guest every Thursday and then record an episode every Sunday. And and to find time to edit and research in between those was it was it was a challenge. And we got through it. We had 11 episodes just dedicated to Wrigley. So if that's stuff that you're interested in, go back and uh, definitely listen to those because the Wrigley shows are obviously they're some of the best you know, most memorable moments in, in the last 10 years of Pearl Jam. So, and, and we did those fan mail episodes too. Don't forget about those. Oh, we, oh, we absolutely. They're involved. All the letters that everyone sent in, like those were fantastic mm-hmm. too. Everybody sent in such great stories. Oh, emotional ones and fun ones. And, you know, ones you would never expect to hear. And uh, yeah, absolutely. All of that stuff. It's interesting to us, so it'll be interesting to you. And and we have we've had to listen to it more times than once. So, uh, but this clip is you. You mentioned Stephen Hyden, and that was the first Wrigley guest that we had on. And uh, this was a good clip because he talked a little bit about really not being a fan of Pearl Jam anymore, and uh, you know said that was kind of left behind in the '90s, and he hadn't been to a show in a really long time. So. This is him sort of developing the stages of being back into a Pearl Jam fan during this rain delay. So listen to it. And obviously Haydn has been uh, a very, uh, you know, fond, fond speaker of the band and, and is always writing about them and, and doing his top uh, 40, top 60 list, whatever list he's doing. And uh, it's, you know, it's great that he got back to that point, especially at such uh, a memorable moment like this. So here's Stephen Hyden hanging out at Wrigley during the rain delay. I mean, there's so much of that show that I treasure that goes beyond just the performance. Like I was, that was my second Pearl Jam show and my first one in 15 years. Like I'd seen them in 98 on the yield tour. And then there was a long period where I had fallen out of touch with them. 
and I'd started to get back into them early 2010s, you know, just kind of thinking about that era again. I mean, I, yeah, there was a long time where I didn't listen to like a lot of 90s music um, because I think like a lot of people, you know, you, you move through different periods of your life. And I think in my 20s, I felt like, well, that was the music I liked when I was a teenager. Sure. And you, and you have to move on. You have to progress from that. And um, then when I got a little bit older, when I got in my early 30s, I started really wanting to, to reconnect with that in a way that you would kind of reconnect with your own past. You know, I felt right. like this is like in a weird way. That was like my heritage, you know, that <laughs> I had not really thought about for a long time. So I started thinking about Pearl Jam again. And, um, when they booked that Wrigley field show, I, you know, I was living in Milwaukee at the time. So it was easy for me to get to the show. And I just thought, well, this will be a great opportunity to go see them. And my friend, Mark, who I've known forever, you know, I've known him since I was five years old. So almost 40 years at this point. And he lived, he used to live in Wrigleyville. He lived in Wrigleyville at that time. So it was, it was very easy. You know, I could stay with him and we were going to go together. And, um, there's just so many weird things that happened at that show. Like, you know, I remember when we got there, we were sitting in the 200 section, basically just like straight back from the stage so you know the the upper deck was 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 well over us and we were far enough back where i forget exactly how close we were to the back but i mean it was like maybe 10 rows at the most from like the beer stands and the hot dog stands mm. i remember thinking at the time that like oh these seats kind of suck like we're kind of far back my friend's brother knew someone who had um seats on the field and he was originally going to sit with us but then he was going to go on the field instead hang out with his friend and i remember being like jealous of him it's like oh he's gonna have so much better seats than us and i was kind of bummed and then of course you know once it starts raining everyone that's on the field they got herded into the concourse areas for like several hours and it was kind of crappy for them like it was just in this sweaty uncomfortable area like where they're while they're waiting for the rain to clear out and i mean it was, and it was not just sprinkles it was like serious rain it was like I, there was um my, my friend was at a fish concert that night that concert got canceled because the weather was so bad meanwhile you know we're my friend and i we're undercover not getting wet we have easy access to beer stands and hot dogs and all that so i remember like my buddy and i we just drank old style for three hours and like talked about you know our childhoods and it was like this magical thing and then pearl jam comes out at midnight and just plays you know for two hours and just <laughs> was great and it was like a really magical night and i think I, I don't know like if i had been on the field it would have been way worse i remember there was a woman standing maybe three or four rows in front of my buddy and i and at one point we were maybe like an hour or two in and she just started weeping heavily. Like it's like she had like a nervous breakdown, just crying, you know, <laughs> upset. You know, it's like, what are they going to come on? Like, what do we do? And blah blah blah. So I know there were a lot of people that did not have fun at that show. I actually wrote about this show in my second book, Twilight of the Gods. Like I, I wrote a bit about seeing the show and like how much it meant to me, and how it was really like one of my favorite shows. 
and I'd heard from other people that went and they were sort of incredulous that I was so positive about <laughs> 2013 at Wrigley because like a lot of people did not have a good time and I think you know I'm sure there were a fair number of people that just left yeah I was gonna say was there ever a point that you thought about leaving and just like didn't think they were gonna come back weirdly no I, I and I never thought that I think like again because my friend had a you know he lived like literally right down the street so you know we didn't have to drive there you know, a lot of times when I'm at big stadium shows like that, I'm worried about traffic getting out, and I'm definitely one of those people that I will I will leave during the encore so I can like get a jump on the rest of the people, you know, getting out of the, getting out of the venue. But there were none of those worries at this show because all we had to do was walk, you know, maybe five six blocks from the stadium, and you know, again, my friend and I, my, his name's Mark, we had such a great time just talking i mean again this feels like a pearl jam song you know like we were living a pearl jam song during this high you know intermission you know like it was like an emotional catharsis like we were connecting as men during this you know break just just pounding old styles you know getting getting drunk and hanging out and that sounds like something off of no code i would think, yeah right? exactly man it was it, it was great present it was, tense off he goes on it was like in my tree you know, it was like it was the equivalent of like hanging out with Eddie on the beach in Hawaii over a campfire. You know, like <laughs> that's how spiritual it felt like for me and Mark. You know, just hanging out. It was great, and um, and like you said, like it stopped raining fairly soon. And and again, like we were undercover anyway, so we didn't have to worry about getting wet. But it was actually a very pleasant night for a long time. I think they were worried because there were. I think maybe it was, like, it was thunderstorms. Thunderstorms yeah. and. And the weather was was pretty bad, but um, you know, again, the seats I thought were terrible were actually great. Like they were the best seats we could have had. Um, so it just goes to show sometimes, like things can turn at a concert. Man, you think it's going to go one way, and it goes the other, and uh, it, it, it was just totally magical. Yeah, we we've got to get him back on the show at at some point because he he was a great guest. Yeah, get Steven out of In Hyden. Ah, like that. <laughs> Which actually makes more sense due to the next thing that he wanted to talk about on our show. You don't remember, do you? No, I don't. It was Milwaukee. He wants to oh, talk okay. about Milwaukee. Cool. Cool. So, yeah, that that should be great. I can't can't wait to have him on again. And a lot of these other guests, we can always hopefully go back to and and uh, get their you know whenever we get a tour or something like that, get their stories. And you know we have this rapport with them now, and it'll be really good. And one of the one of the great stories that we have, and one of the great stories that in basically in Pearl Jam fan lore is from Doctor John Evans, and he kind of like he blew up and had this escalated popularity this year because of a photo that circulated uh, with him wearing uh, a mask and uh, it basically in, in, in the hospital and wearing a Pearl Jam shirt under his scrubs. Yeah. I mean, that was back in, back in June, we were in, we were in, obviously in the thick of it, the whole COVID thing. And, you know, we didn't know we'd still be going through it in December, obviously, you know, but Dr. John had some great stories. He's we talked to him a lot about 
his his time in the hospital and we managed to work in some talk about the show that he that he went to and some of the you know the the moment in let's play two and him you know queuing up first in line you know three four days ahead of time that I'd, I'd recommend that that is a great listen if you guys and haven't haven't got a chance to go back and listen to it he's 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 very passionate about what he does and it, it comes through absolutely and you know like i said this is the the fan moment that like you wouldn't you you would dream of this but like you wouldn't ever expect it in a million years he's first online they interview him for a documentary and then he's right in the middle of uh right in ed's eyesight and obviously they get sight of what had had been talked about and uh they make a very emotional tribute so here's his reaction to when they played release at night one in 2016. However they did it, you know, however, whatever conversations took place between, you know, uh, Tim Donnelly, Danny Clinch and uh, uh, Eddie Vedder and, you know, the band, the guys um, to uh, have, you know, um, release, um, you know, be a part of the, be part of the set list. However, that took place. Um, you know, it uh, it just culminated in this that moment. You know, that um, just I actually when it was um, Tim Donnelly again. He's the producer that um, was off camera interviewing me. Um, he came in. He came down and kind of like hunched down in front of me uh, about halfway through. Um, uh, the first song, which I believe was uh, um, "Low Light," and um, uh, and I kind of, you know, he kind of like, you know, nodded, nodded and smiled, and kind of nodded and smiled at him, and um, but I just thought he was just there, you know. I, I had no idea what was, you know, what was going to take place, and then when you know Ed said, "Is there a guy named John in the um, uh, in the audience uh, or in the crowd?" Um, Tim started pointing at me to, you know, kind of like, you know, direct Ed's attention mm-hmm. and, and none of it registered, you know, the whole, I'd like, I'm looking around for like, Oh, who, who's John, you know, and, and there's pointing. lots of Johns here. John over. I was the other John in this conversation was behind first baseline. Yeah. And then, you know, t- but Tim's pointing directly. He's, he's, you know, his hand is six inches in front of me pointing at me and I'm thinking, well, who's he pointing at? It just it it was just one of those things that was just it was not um, it was just not registering. And then he kind of then when Ed kind of walked over and started you know kind of talking to me and pointing, then it all hit. And then it was like you know um, just like I mean I don't have the words for it now. It was just you know um, I I you know. I'm getting choked up about it now thinking about it. It's just, it was this, this gesture, you know, of, uh, you know, Ed coming from a place of his own emotional storms, you know, about his dad and, you know, and my, uh, um, my own, um, things going on with my dad. And, uh, um, it was all of us connecting and it was, you know, Pearl Jam and me connecting, and it was Ed and me connecting, and yeah. um, it was. Uh, I, I just, I, I don't, I don't have, you know, I don't have 
um, words to uh, to really describe it. Um, was there a moment in the song in the performance where, like, or were you, were you just so uh, just taken taken away by it that um, maybe you didn't recognize it? But did you, did you and Ed have a connection? Did he did he look? at you face to face. Cause you said Tim was directing him to where you were, but did he was, was it almost like it was one-on-one where he, you were the only person in the audience he was singing to almost. Um, to it. Yeah. I mean, when he, when he was talking about, you know, me, uh, waiting, um, you know, in line for a couple of days, he was looking right at me, um, and pointing right at me. And, um, then there were several moments during the song where he was looking right at me and singing right to me. Um, uh, and then, you know, he, um, he changed the line, um, uh, in, I believe it was the second verse. He changed the line to, um, uh, Oh dear dad, can you see John now? That blew me absolutely away. I, I lost it. Um, and then at the very beginning, when, you know, the crowd started singing, you know, when he said, you know, you know, help me, help me, you know, let's sing to John. He's going through some stuff. Let's help him out. And then the, the crowd came in and you had, you know, you had, you know, 60,000 people singing, you know, the opening of release totally just devastated me. Um, so there were many, many moments. Um, but, um, yeah, I did. I did feel um, that I was at times part of this gigantic, you know, mass of people, this, you know, this incredible energy, this incredible wave of humanity. But then there were several moments where I felt like it was just, you know, Ed and me, you know, where he was, we were just connecting. Yeah. Which made it all the more special. Um, um, But yeah, I, I, I'm still, I'm still just blown away by it the more they can connect with you, the more you connect with them. That's what it's all about. And, um, uh, so yeah, anytime that, even if it's just for a brief thing, you know, a brief second, uh, brief little, you know, smile, wave, direct eye contact during a song. Um, it just, it's really, really special. And well, there's a moment where I kind of like reached out my hand, like to kind of, you know, like in a, had my arm extended and my fist extended um, like in a you know connection kind of a way, mm-hmm. and Ed kind of. I think that shot was in. Was that shot in the the movie? I can't remember. I feel like it was. I think so. Um, because I, I think it was because I've seen I've seen a still photo of it, and um, it looks like the same. It came from the same camera that was filming mm-hmm. at that time. Um, but uh, Ed did the same thing, um, and then after when you know, when the show is over, um, he happened to be, um, kind of walking across the stage in front of me. He was, he was I think he was still hang, tossing out pictures, something like that. And I just, I yelled out Ed and he looked right at me and I put my hand out again and he put his out. We kind of did like an air fist bump. Um, and that was, <laughs> that was a really special moment too. Yeah. I mean, that, 
again that that's one of the Pearl Jam stories for many years, and it was it was such a, a privilege to have him on the show, and we were actually able to follow up with him a little bit at our uh, our holiday Zoom party and, and check in on him and see how he's doing. It was interesting to hear. I think he mentioned you know retrograde as one that he's yeah. that's been kind of getting him through this year, and I I hundred percent agree with that. So we we thank him for for coming and taking the time. I think he actually was actually in the hospital in like a break room or yeah. something in an office when he when he joined and he kind of stuck around and was able to hang out for a little while and watch the band play so yeah it was great to talk to him again and follow up with him and he's another one like oh you know I could, we can go down this list of you know, oh, yeah. all these people we can't wait to have back but yeah he's he's got he's got one of the best stories of all time absolutely 100 percent. we were so happy that he came and joined us on on the zoom call and and when you you just knew when when we said his name like people were just like oh, he this that's amazing that he's here and they they just everybody took notice and you know sometimes you'll hear on the zoom you'll hear people like just chatter in the background but everybody was dead silent right when he was talking right. just paying attention to just what he's talking about and it really it gave me hope for you know what's what's going on and and that people are are committed to getting rid of this virus and just amazing work that he's doing i, I can't thank him enough for for doing everything that he does uh, thank your your frontline workers, people. Uh, all right, next clip, uh, we talked to Jonathan Cohen, who is the writer of the PJ20 book. He works for uh, Variety now. He writes for Variety, and he's pretty much been like a constant Pearl Jam journalist over the years. Yeah, he was one of the ones that, that earned their trust early on. I think we talked about that, like how he was able to kind of prove that he was about the music. You know, not many journalists were able to get kind of the inside scoop on Pearl Jam back then. And for him to have been approached to, to be a part of that PJ 20 book was amazing. And that, you know, that's the Bible. Absolutely. You go, we all go back to that for many, many things, you know, from how they recorded songs to what they wanted to add and, and not add to albums. And so much research went into that. It was another fantastic interview that if you have the time during your little time off, if you do have time off this week, uh, definitely try to go back and listen to that one. But the clip that we're going to be playing here is going to talk about his time as a booker on The Tonight Show, which, I mean, he's done so many cool things in his life already. Like, you know, writer for all these different places, wrote a book about Pearl Jam that's considered a Bible and and booked for The Tonight Show for a bunch of years. Like, you can't get better than that, right? Yeah, yeah, he's got some great stories. So uh, we talked to him about Pearl Jam Week and, you know, just kind of scheduling and booking that and, you know, it being his idea and his his brainchild around the time that Lightning Bolt came out. And, uh, you know, we get to hear the story about how, you know, Cornell was approached to play footsteps with with the Avid brothers and, um, you know, how important that was for him to do that and what we know now obviously it's it's way more important that we have that as a part of our history but also um this kind of went under the radar and i was trying to get this get this passed around being like guys guys this is this is important this is an important story that we could have had a big moment that never was uh from this week there was supposed to be a really really big guest that was supposed to join on Pearl Jam Week that didn't. Um, so I'm not going to give it up right now because if you don't know, then you should know. And I'm going to let the man mention himself. Here's Jonathan Cohen talking about The Tonight Show. 
I, I worked on on the show for six years, and I really tried not to let my own personal music taste interfere too much in the bookings. But once in a while, um, I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to do something like this, where you know I could indulge my love of a particular band and put something really special together. So um, yeah, we, you, you mentioned the lineup, and um, you know, in retrospect. Not that it wasn't special at the time, but the the Chris Cornell performance, I think, takes on a lot of added gravitas after the fact because this was also sort of a full circle moment for him. Um, performing Footsteps, which existed in a different form on the Temple of the Dog record. Times of Trouble, of course. Exactly. Um, Chris had never played the Pearl Jam version before. And... Um, to do it with the Avert brothers added something really, really uh, unique to it as well. And, you know, I think um, the significance was not lost on Chris that day. Um, he and I did a separate interview, which I believe is still on YouTube, um, just kind of talking about his memories of even hearing the Pearl Jam version of Times of Trouble for the first time and being kind of bewildered, like, wait a minute, we already recorded that song and now there's a different song? And um, to, you know, I guess, what, 20 years later, 21 years later, um, to have him perform it, um, I don't know. It, it was just really, really, uh, really, really wonderful. And um, I look back on that as, as truly one of the more special moments of my time on the show. That performance is fantastic. If anybody out there hasn't listened to that performance, I mean, obviously, you know, since the three years since Chris has passed it, it means so much more now. But yeah, go out, go out and find it on YouTube. And I'm sure we'll post it over the week on social media. But uh, was there and, and I'm curious uh, as to some of the other acts there, were there acts that that you had specifically in mind for this? And did you let them come up with their own idea for what songs they wanted to perform? Or were you saying, Hey, let's kind of keep it to the hits or what, how did it all, how'd that all go down? Yeah. So, you know, footsteps and Chris, that was just sort of like the, the fan in me, uh, thinking, wouldn't this be amazing if he would consider playing this particular song because of the, the long backstory and significance. Um, Robin Pecknold from fleet foxes chose corduroy. That was the one that he wanted to do. And Dirk Bentley wanted to do a live. That was I, I, if I recall correctly, his favorite Pearl Jam song and to have Mike join him for it kind of, you know, brought it all home. Um, I will tell you guys, and I'm not sure I've ever really shared this detail before, but Bruce Springsteen was confirmed to participate that week. Um, oh my, wow. unfortunately he was not able to for personal reasons, but, um, there was a, a short period of time there where, you know, you could probably picture me jumping up and down in my office <laughs> thinking thinking about what that possibly yeah. would have been like. So we, we can only dream, but um, he was going to do it until, um, you know, some, some things came up that uh, prevented him from being able to do so. But just a little fun fact there for the listeners. Did it get to the do, point do where know? he had picked a song? Yeah, yeah nope, I was going to ask that. He yeah. had not picked a song yet. Oh. Um, so the the mystery is even more deep in that respect. Yeah. We'll, we'll oh, never know what it may have been. <laughs> well, we'll just have to get Bruce on the show and 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 just ask him. <laughs> yes, go for it. Uh, but um, is there is there something that you were thinking in your head, like if I were to ask Bruce any Pearl Jam song, and obviously you would let Bruce 
pick his own thing. It's it's Bruce. He, he'll he'll do it, and it'll be fantastic. But was there was there one that you were really hoping that would work for him? Well, I was kind of thinking Better Man because he had played it before. Mm-hmm. Um, so that seemed sort of like the logical one, and you know, it started to become a little bit of a dream of like, well, listen, if he would do that, maybe Ed would join him, and then boy, we really have something out of this world at that point. Um, but uh, I didn't want to get ahead of myself, and I'm kind of glad that I didn't because, as I mentioned, it, it didn't come to fruition. So, you know, no harm done there, but um, it's it sure fun speculating now after the fact what it could have been. Uh, like you said, John Jonathan Cohen has done so much, and uh, being able to follow the band and get the stories from the band firsthand like that and uh, – and be a part of all this like one of the stories we, we left out was him you know drinking tequila shots with ed while listening to super blood wolf moon you know like how how cool is that yeah you remember he was at that gigaton kind of release listening party back earlier this year and yeah just crazy but i mean we uh, going back to that clip like we'll we can go back and forth for forever with the bruce fans arguing about you know which song he would have done <laughs> that you know you can you can just take your pick like that's yeah that that would have been amazing so the next one this is the last from the ridley series that we did we did four guests uh for the first four episodes and then the last week we did the the fan mail that we mentioned before so the last one with guests that we had was with rob bleatstein and bob kraus and uh rob bleatstein obviously the rob from uh from sirius radio and bob kraus is He's a resident of Wrigleyville, and it was actually really good to talk to him and kind of get the sense of what was going on uh, surrounding the ballpark and, you know, uh, surrounding the the team and the band, especially in in 2016 when the team was on an all-time high and then later won the World Series and what, you know, what it was like to, to, he did like a real-world house at Wrigley or something like that. You remember that? Yeah, Mm -hmm. So uh, the clip we're going to play for you, though, is about how... During the rain delay, we're back to the rain delay here in 2013. Uh, Rob didn't know if he had to be on call, so he kind of he kind of was uh, was in a in a state of mind during the the first set that he uh, didn't know if he was going to be able to go back on the radio, and it's interesting to see how that all turned out. So let's hear from from Rob and hear his little story about this Wrigley rain delay. Basically, it was working the entire thing. So we, um, we, it was, as a matter of fact, in the history, in the 10 years of Pearl Jam Radio on Sirius XM, that's the only show where we were, were did a remote from, where we were broadcasting live outside. We had a tent set up and a blazing heat. Mm-hmm. I was out there for hours interviewing people and doing different programming, and it was a ton of fun. And they, we weren't allowed to broadcast the show, but we, we did the post thing. I put a Chicago special together to play while we were seeing the show. And then we were all set up to do a post show in the upstairs. You know, there's going to be a big after party. And we were set up to broadcast from that after party as a post show. So that went hell. But my, my whole experience <laughs> with that first Wrigley was, you know, after doing the post thing, it was like, I was exhausted, I was starving, and I had like 15 minutes before they came on, like the most. So I like found a salad backstage somewhere, and then I, I'm, then I made my way into the VIP area, um, and I'm with Brent Berry when it's the NBA player when it started, 
and in that area they're they're playing release and everybody's yakking their heads off and i'm like freaking out i'm like brent i love you but i can't hang with these white people talk <laughs> so i moved up a little bit i pulled out a joint i took a few hits they started doing nothing man i think and um, I was just having a great, and then my friend Brian Farias was on the rail in that VIP area, and he waved me up and had space, so all of a sudden, I'm right there, and then we got, um, uh, did they do Hold On right then, or, or Hard to Imagine or something? I Off the top of my head, release into Nothing Man in the present tense, then Hold On, and okay. then Low Light, maybe? Yeah, hold on was number four, I believe. I'll, I'll yeah, there I'll it is. Four song, hold on. Yeah, so, so I am like, I am levitating at that moment. I'm like on the rail, um, in a great space and with great people. They're playing hold on. I'm like, this is unbelievable. So I'm like having the time of my life. And then when the, when the, you know, when, when Pete came out and, you know, the buzzkill of all time, like, you got to leave where I'm like, it's not even raining. We can't leave. <laughs> you know, it's like, and then, um, like, it also dawned on me that I was like, oh, my God, I am, like, so high right now and having such a great time. If I got to go on the radio right now, I am screwed. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I'm, ex I'm like, gone. I'm like, I, I can't go on the radio right now. <laughs> so I am, like, I'm sort of hiding. I'm like, you know freaking out going god they better not call me or want me to go anyway so i'm like i hid for a while in the back end. i think i i'm like i found kelly's area so i found someone's area and just like hid in the corner for like 20 minutes so i could get myself together and then i went looking for the serious guys and they they actually had left like they were they like after the pregame thing that we did outside they like packed up and went and brought all that gear back to the hotel and I guess stuff like that. And then they came back. So I was like, they're like, what's going on? I'm like, this is bizarre. But it was really cool. Also, I got to be in that um, behind center field in the, where the, you know, and they have offices and stuff back in, in there. And that's where the whole setup was and the weather guys were. So I'm getting to see all this stuff and hear all the, you know, when it might happen again. So just dodging in and, out, in and out of there a couple of times, getting a scope on it, and uh, then seeing people. <laughs> My friend Nicole from Seattle, we had, our, we had our, uh, our John Cusack moment, which was pretty hilarious. Um, won't go into details to protect the uh, famous actor. <laughs> and, uh, and then, yeah, then when it came back again, it was, you know, it was just a great show. It was unbelievable what happened. And then when it all ended, to look up at that scoreboard clock and see it at 2 a.m. was just fucking mind-blowing. So we can't say the lesson here is is don't get stoned at a concert because it's a concert. You're pretty much supposed to get stoned. Uh, but if you're on call, then, you know, you got to you gotta, you gotta know that, uh, that there's a possibility. Everybody knew that there were storms and 
in the uh, in the forecast, and uh, he he made it through. He made it through. They got yeah. through it, but uh, definitely a cool moment. Yeah, if you go back and listen to that episode, I think there's a lot of a lot of sh- kind of stories, shenanigans that were hinted at, but not fully told. So I think they mm. they they were holding some holding some stuff back from us a little bit. But yeah, you, you can kind of read between the lines and and tell that there were there were some interesting things happening behind the scenes at at, at that real world house. Absolutely, absolutely. So we're going to take a moment here and just kind of do a little bit of a roll call with our patrons. So one of the things, and I worked in, in television for, you know, 10 years. And one of the great things that everybody really liked about the end of the year around Christmas time, New Year's was that, you know, they would take a big chunk of time either at the late shows or the afternoon shows and they would run everybody's name that worked there would run in the credits. They'd run a big, long credits. They usually play some of the the famous This Is Sports Center commercials. And, um, you know, they would run everybody's name, and you'd kind of wait to see, hey, under production, you know, hey, that, that that's me right there. Like, cool. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's important that we just kind of give a nod to everybody that's helped us out through this past year because I was going back and I was just looking at to see how – we kind of started this year and it's amazing to think that we had less than 20 people donating to us and now we're nearly at 80. Uh, so that's just Absolutely. unbelievable, unbelievable, the growth and we can't thank you guys enough. So we just, uh, we're going to name everybody off right here that has donated to us in 2020. Starting off, Aurelian Moreau, Radley Piasecki, Patrick Bogle, Eddie Quintana, Jason Corbin, G. Golly M.M., Adrian Peterson, Brian Anderson, Michael Keating, Chris Everett, Curtis Haynes, David James, Deborah McMurtry, Dylan Sumter, Emile Mansour, Glenn Bobby, Jed Garfunkel, Kevin Murray, Luke Daly, Matt Behan, Sean Raskus, Mike Packard, Craig Peterson, Ryan Morden, Matt Servadale, Marty Higgins, Brandon Palomo, Jacob Chamberlain, Frank Stoley, Dave Jantash, Dukes Wooters, Drew Vipon, Clay Davis, Paul Mariniuk, Dan Greenberg, Matt Schulfer, Chris Pullman, Gabe Spies, Brock Miller, Randy Morgan. Tom Gregory, Matt Thompson, David Ritter, Julia Feller, Kurt Walton, Jeremy Curtis, Javier Hervis, Danny King, Casey Gioelli, Mark Lees, Gabby Mokenhaupt, Craig Kieser, Jeff Zeba, Vanessa Ausmus, John Cartmel, Jenny Ray, Steve McCallum, Shannon McGooey, Aris Lambropoulos, Michael Johnson, Carl Stabenow, Matt Helbig, David Ruthman, Craig Smith, Chris Riddle, Randy Cross, Joey Goodsir, Joe Hoffer, Ryan Frank, Andrew Kerr, Jameen Peterman, Hillary Wood, Andrew Taylor, Jenny G, Justin Wilson, Greg Schwab, Anita Stomasiuk, 
Mary Weber. Thank you guys so much. Thank you very much. And also we're going to thank right here the folks that aren't currently on our Patreon but did donate to us in 2020. Thank you very much. You guys are just as special as anybody else. Uh, thank you to Kirk Kilberg, Daniel Summerall, David Egan, Tom Van Hemer, Sylvia Davidson, Dan Osborne, Dan Apollo, Claire Millar, Jared Jackson, and Alex Turetchen. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, we're again we're just blown away. Like that that was a long list of names and mm. we, we continue to be blown away every month at, at you guys and the support that we get. So from the bottom of our hearts, thank you. Thank you all so much. Yes. Um and take this time out to you know just mention we are and have changed our patreon tiers uh we have come up with a new leg called the horizon leg and that is all going towards our concert chronology website that we're building and uh we're hoping to really build some great stuff with that and and kind of build off what uh both five horizons and and two feet thick had had built such great things for for the world of pearl jam definitely yeah it's it's going to be it's going to be so much fun working on that and seeing it kind of progress and come to fruition and, and all the people, all the people we just, we just read are instrumental in that and in, in building that support. And we, yeah, again, we can't say it enough. Thank you guys so much. Absolutely. And, um, we right now over at Patreon, the newest thing, I think, uh, uh, the bridge school solo Eddie shows on bridge school is coming out pretty soon. But right now, you if you were into the Pearl Jam Deprogram stuff, the Deprogram Championship Edition, we actually have a second edition called the Trash Episode, where we take everything that was dumped into the trash, like, oh, I don't want to spoil it for you guys because maybe you didn't listen to it yet. But there are some key quality songs that didn't make it into even the discussion round that we went and and we we redrafted or repicked and uh we made another top 10 for that and we our goal was to determine king of the trash <laughs> and yeah, I think we we, we came just, up with a special name for it. You'll have you'll have to go and listen, but yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, it's it's great uh, trash episode, and not to say that those songs are trash, but that's what happened. Ended up what happening to them. So uh, if you want to check that out and any other episodes, co- uh, contribute to the show. patreoncom slash live and four legs. Search live and four legs on the Patreon app. And uh, we thank you all, everybody, equally from the patrons that have donated to the people that have tuned in every week, regardless, uh, the ones that have have been in touch with us and the ones that haven't. You guys have been instrumental for us doing all this and being able to talk about all these great stories that we have. And so once again, thank you to every single person that's been involved with this. So the next story that we have for you the next clip we're going to play is uh is great because it actually kind of spurned from twitter and we we knew that we wanted kenny main to come on our show and i knew i could make it happen and i just needed i needed to figure out like what the best way to go about it was and i wasn't sure and i wasn't sure like what kind of content we were going to get then one day i saw Kenny respond to something like just a fan just saying, Hey, what's your favorite Pearl Jam moment? And he said, well, you know, the, the time that I, I went to Ben Arroyo and got tickets out of the back of a van, I'm like, Oh, that's, that's, that's a pretty good way to start an episode. <laughs> so here's Kenny basically talking about exactly that, how he got to be at 
fucking Ben Arroyo. I was in Seattle. This is about 2003-ish, four-ish, one or the other. And we were, this is back in the period where I was doing these pretend football stories all the time. We would like make up a, a silly. The, uh, the countdown ones. Um, oh, countdown. yeah. I, I remember one of them because I knew when I was working at ESPN, I had seen one of the guys that you had used. Uh, Yes, I had seen him around, yeah. That's, that's exactly the story. So we got this guy named Max Kim, super nice guy. He's uh, into British metal. If you ever do a British metal show, you can bring him <laughs> Um So he's from South Korea. And one night, I'm doing Sports Center. we were planning what our next week's story was. And we were been kicking around, we should do like a fake player. Like, you know, the old, what was it, Sid Finch. You know, the old, the old yep. things. Right. And Max is on the floor. And I said, Max. You ever been to Seattle? He's like, no. You know, like, I would definitely go to Seattle. He's all excited, you know. So we tell the bosses. We tell his bosses. You know, here's what we're trying to pull off. Call the Seahawks. Would you let us do this crazy story? And they rolled out the red carpet. Holmgren was the coach at the time. We had a fake press conference. People can look it up. If His name we gave him was Kim Ilzong, K-I-M-I-L, <laughs> last name Z-O-N-G, word number 129. And the joke was that he plays all 22 positions. They signed him for a billion dollars because they want to win now. You know, like we, they made a whole spectacle of it for us. Let him on the field during practice. I and just remember him punting the ball with the cigarette in his mouth. Yeah. Yeah, he did that. He walked through the tires also with the cigarette. <laughs> so that's the first year. The, the second year we come back and it's the next season. We're like, well, let's do that Kim Ilzong story again. That was funny the last time. This time we were going to pretend that he kind of let the Seahawks down. He kind of lied about his talent and – he, he really couldn't play any positions. So, so the first time, Jeff Amen was in the story pretending this guy's so awesome, he might even take Ed's spot in Pearl Jam. He could, there's nothing he can't do, right? Second year, this is by sheer coincidence, I, you know, because we kind of made the trip in a hurry. Pearl Jam's playing a concert at Ben Arroyo Hall, which is our, like, fancy place. You know, it's, it's like where orchestras play and theater and so forth. Uh, Pavarotti would play there, that kind of place, right? Um, so we, we are driving right by that place. So we look up, it says Pearl Jam, sold out. So we jump out of the car. Immediately, we got something to shoot, right? Like now he can't even get into a Pearl Jam show. We played that trick. But we, we have no intention of going to the concert because we're supposed to go to the basketball game. The Sonics had a preseason game that night. So Brent Berry is uh, a guy that we come up to and, and say, hey, can you give us a couple lines for this fake story we're doing? And he does a great job on the court. It's, it's pregame for this NBA game. And he says, hey, what are you doing tonight? I said, what do you mean? We're at your game. And he's like, do you want to go to Pearl Jam instead? I was like, hell yeah, we'll go to Pearl Jam. So he, he said, go in the locker room, dig in my jeans for my keys, go out to the parking lot. There's, he has like a VW bus at the time. And the tickets, he just didn't want them to go to waste. Right? The tickets are right there in his console. So we leave that game. We'd already shot what we needed. And we go to probably my favorite concert, you know, of the many, the Ben Arroyo concert. Yeah, and so it's so also good. probably my favorite album because they made an album of that that I bumped into at a like a flea market in Fremont. Uh, so I have that as well. It's just on so vinyl cool. or on CD? Uh, CD. Oh, okay, I was about to say on vinyl that flea market that is a bargain right there. Yeah, no, it was on CD, but but I just remember the whole. They played a Johnny Cash song. They played uh, the first time they'd ever unveiled Man of the Hour from the movie mm-hmm. Big Fish, which is also right. one of my favorite movies. Um, there were just so many moments and we had great seats. I mean, we were just blown away. Like how, how did all that even happen? You know, like how did we choose Brent Berry to be our interview subject? Could have been somebody else. Right. 
right? And how he, he was so kind, like he didn't want the tickets to go to waste. And uh, so I've always tried to pay him back. I, I don't think I've, I've done it yet, but it was a pretty cool night and, and a memorable concert, obviously, with everything they did that night. So that's out of all the ultimate Pearl Jam stories, that's got to be high, high up there as one of just you can't get much better than that. Like, you know, on a night that you had no idea that the show was even happening to grab tickets and then go and then to know the history of it later being such a small crowd and in such an intimate venue and then the vinyl being released like wow that's that's special to even just be at that show something special absolutely, but the story behind absolutely. it and, and we should mention too i i, I don't want to go talk about this without mentioning his his charity the runfreely.org yes. the, the things that Thank he's you. doing for for the veterans and, and the and the people the, the braces that they're making it's it's a fantastic charity so and get definitely go check out runfreely.org if you're in the if you're still in the holiday giving spirit yes and we thank everybody once again there were people that uh contributed just for that to our patreon to uh to donate we donated a little bit to them this year as well to uh to show mm-hmm. more support so that actually transitions into the next story nicely because we just said uh you know donations and one of the other donations that we made this year was to eb Re- research and uh black circle obviously you know came so big and blew up so big in 2020 that the night that they were supposed to the band was supposed to play in toronto everybody attached themselves to them and listened to them do their live stream. And it became sort of a, uh, uh, almost like a monthly, you know, every couple of weeks kind of thing where they would, they would go on and they would perform. And it was definitely filling in the gap for a lot of Pearl Jam shows. Yeah. They, they kind of came on the spotlight big back in back earlier this year when they, they released that, that cover of dance of the clairvoyance and it kind of just grabbed everyone's attention. I think, Mike on on Twitter was like, "Wow, like you guys have to see this." And then, you know, Ed and Ed and Jill became kind of close with them and reached out to them. And yeah, it's just it's just a special story of its cats. You know, a year ago, nobody knew who they were, and and now they've kind of like they've got their they made an album, like they they've got an mm-hmm. album of original material, and yeah, the the sky's the limit for those guys. Absolutely. Yeah. Just, and they're doing tremendous work, you know, and they're going to try to tour the States in 2021. So we'll see where it goes with them, but they've been awesome. They, you know, we got a a surprise performance out of them at at the, at the holiday party, Mm -hmm. which was great. Uh, Lenny playing a little bit of uh, Springsteen. Uh, And here, this was such a great story because that was after the first show that I mentioned, the, the Toronto, the one that replaced the Toronto show. On that night, I think it was March 11th, supposed to be March 11th or or the 18th. I can't remember which one. One of those dates. A lot of dates from that time are ringing a bell, but also not really connecting. So, uh, but he said everybody got in the in the band after that show got a phone call from Eddie, and and Ed specifically wanted to talk to Lenny and and you know give him sort of a a pep talk and and mentor him and just. Here's Lenny Prado talking about how surreal of a moment that was. Well, the, the, it all it all started when uh, it was after Mike's uh, Mike's uh, Twitter um, message the, the, when he shared our song on Twitter. Uh, the thing I sent Jill a, a link because I usually, you know, sometimes I would send her messages on Instagram, uh, and she 
I, I she, she never responded to those messages. Like, uh, I mean, links to our, our videos, right? So she didn't respond. I think I think a lot of uh, cover bands do that. So it's okay not to not to respond, right? It's okay. So it's just another cover band, and I'm not going to respond. I'm not going to answer. And then there was the Mike thing, and I said I remember uh, sending a message like, "Hey, even Mike liked it." And then, and then she was like, oh, no, you guys are great. And then she answered back. And, and then that was just the beginning. And then I told her we were going to do a, a live stream. And then she said, well, let me know uh, the day that you're going to do it. Just send me a message that day. And then I, I sent her a message the day before. Of course, I wouldn't wait for the day. So I sent her a message the day before. She didn't answer. She didn't reply. And I figured, well, she was just trying to be nice and whatever. And then 10 minutes before the live session, she, she, she sent me a message. Hey, where's the link? We're all here. We're going to watch it. And then I told the guys and everybody was like, okay, so what do we do now? They're going to watch it, right? Uh, and after that, that day, the Zoe day, uh, Eddie called us and uh, it was his home number, man. It was his home number. It was and he's Jill, given it actually. out on Monkey Wrench before, so... So she was like, hey, uh, is this Lenny? I got somebody here who wants to speak to you. And then that, that time, my, my legs, my legs were shaking. So it was like, I was, oh, my God, my legs are shaking here. And then he, he started talking to us. I want to talk to everybody. And then he talked to everybody, uh, to Sergio, to Luis, to Nick, to me, Gabriel. Um, and then there was this, this moment where he said, I just want to talk to you in particular. So go somewhere. Right. So I went somewhere away from the guys and then he gave me lots of advice about music and career and uh, what I shouldn't maybe shouldn't do. And, you know, it was it was it's weird because, you know, I, I lost my dad. So I was I was talking to Ed and Ed was giving me advice. It was it was a weird feeling. Right. And uh, he was a uh, figure that he was talking to me like an older brother, like, hey, I've been there. I've. I've been through all of this, and if if you want to be successful, if you want people to hear your music, you got to be this this way. You got to be honest. Don't try don't try and imitate. Be yourself. You know. I know. He, he even said, "I know you're not trying to do it. You're not trying to do my voice. It's similar. I get it. So, but try to be yourself. Just you know, you know, not only the the voice, but the lyrics as well. Speak from your heart. And it, it was like a very nice conversation we had. And after that, there was a video call. And then another video call, and and then Christopher, uh, it was I, I would say that he's the mastermind behind everything. You know, he was the one who, after that first contact, he kept us in contact with them because we didn't want to be annoying. We didn't want to keep sending them messages all the time. So he just stepped up and he said, "Okay, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be your frontman for this. I'm, I'm gonna talk to Jill and I'm I'm gonna send the shirts. Maybe they'll wear the shirts." And that's how it happened. I mean, we don't talk regularly, uh, but uh, every time there is a show, uh, we make sure to send them the link. And if they have time, they watch it and they come. And sometimes they'll call. And what she did, I mean, last time, uh, you know, posting our, the cover of our album on her Instagram and a link to our live stream, that was really unexpected. We, couldn't, we didn't see that coming. And it was all her. It was not us. We didn't ask. It was just her. How do you tell your younger self what just all went down and what just happened? Is that, is that a thing? Can you, can you think in that sort of manner? Yeah. The, uh, the, my, younger, my younger self used to dream about meeting Pearl Jam and sitting down with, with Ed for, you know, for just to 
I don't know, a cup of coffee, right? And uh, and talk about music. But I, I'm sure he would never. Uh, he couldn't imagine that this would happen one day, especially at you know 40 years of age. So uh, for a long time, I thought I thought it was uh, this music thing was like in the past. I, I I didn't. I was I was like I'm almost 40. So I was uh, when the, when I met the guys, I was 36. And then when we started with the new music, I was like, oh my god, I'm I'm too old for this. I'm, I'm being completely honest with you here. I'm too old for this. But now it. These things that happen, that are happening right now, they, they're making me feel like really young and passionate and with a lot of blood in my eyes. So, because I, I want to make this work. And I think this is, I know that this is everybody's mindset right now. We want to, we want to make our music and we want to make it work. Yeah. I remember when, when he talked about that, and I think the hair on my arm started standing up on edge. It's just one yeah. of those, one of those special moments. And yeah, just what, what an amazing thing for, for him to get from Ed, like to reach out like that. And, you know, we didn't ask him specifically what he said, cause I don't even want to know like that. that mm-hmm. That's for him. That's between you know, them. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it, I'm sure that that means the world to them. And it, you know, it, it's just gonna, I'm sure that that'll stick with him for the rest of his life. Like we said. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like it's a, and I was talking to Sergio, their, their lead guitar player the other day and just about how, kind of it's still a surprise and kind of amazement that they've gotten to where they, they are. And I just said, look, it's kind of a testament that if you want to follow your dreams and you're destined to follow your dreams, they'll come true. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, and they're happening for those guys. Really proud of them, really happy to, about where they're going and uh, definitely continuing to support Black Circle. Uh, next clip comes from the author Ronan Javoni, who wrote the Not For You Pearl Jam in the Present Tense book. And this was cool. So we, you know, we got in touch with them. We knew that the book was coming out and our friend uh, Dave with Live Footsteps had some, you know, coordination with him back and forth, uh, getting, you know, uh, stats and stuff prepared for the book. And I figured during this time, like, yeah, okay, well, let's just send him a message. Maybe Mimo will want to come on when the book comes out. So when I send him a message, he's like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. I'll come on. And if you want a book, I'll send it to you right now. I'll send you the PDF. And uh, also, you're mentioned in it. Like, what? We're, we're mentioned in a freaking book? <laughs> so it was a lot going on all at once. I'm thinking to myself, like, if the Pearl Jam if people in the Pearl Jam community think this highly of us, then we have to be doing the right things. You would think. Yeah, it was, it was kind of a cool moment because, and again, like I was skeptical at first, I think I said in that episode, because books about Pearl Jam is not really like, it's, it's hard to capture kind of everything that makes them special on, on the, on a page, you know, it's, it's difficult to explain because there's a lot of intangibles, but Ronan did a great job. He kind of, the book is kind of structured around the live shows and, yeah, I mean, the, the podcast, it kind of makes a great companion piece to the podcast. It sure does. It absolutely does. And he'll mention in this clip about, you know, just what he went through doing some some of the research for the book. And, you know, he utilized us, which was a surprise to us that we were being used as a resource for, for a book. So here's him talking about all that and really just fascinating stuff. If, if you haven't read the book yet, go out and read the book, buy the book. It's phenomenal. It's a phenomenal read. So, but and for the time being, listen to this clip. When I sat down and was just trying to visualize the kind of scope and the arc of the story, I was like, 
you know, well, I, I was a kid then. And I remember just what was going on. And, and so, you know, I don't really, you know, I'm going to do the research, but, you know, I know the broad strokes, the picture. And the truth is that, um, you know, as I learned, you know, they were, it's sort of inevitable, I think, just given what was going on in their world and the nature of the media and all that. But, you know, they were always presented as, you know, like, essentially coming off the rails and and you know it was just a matter of time basically between would it be pearl jam or nirvana that would implode but if you actually go and listen to the 9394 bootlegs it's remarkable just how tight they are and how professional and how few and far between are those sort of incidents which sort of make them that much more notable in, in my opinion but you know if anything they you know they got a pretty bum rap and that that's not something i think i knew you know until about a year of just really systematically listening to these things and i think that that's just another service that you guys provide which i you know to speak just for myself i'm so grateful for because it's it's a different kind of listening you know than you know we kind of exist today all in on you know playlists and on shuffle and algorithms and you got you know to to just sit and listen to a three-hour bootleg from start to finish you know it's it's you know it just takes time and it takes labor and it takes love and um you know especially for the last i would say 10 years of the band's um touring history you guys have just done a heroic service i think for all of us i certainly you know did not listen to every bootleg from the 2013 tour or whatever when it happened and and you know and it's just you know just to someone like me who has 500 bootlegs and still feels like you know, you never know when you're going to put on a new one. Mm -hmm. It's, it's just a, it's just a real, you know, gift to have, um, you know, that was the one, maybe it exists somewhere, but, uh, I, I, I didn't see it. You know, I, I like, I had to kind of construct that the list of the 15 or 20, whatever the top most voted shows. And I, I, I would just love to have that somewhere online. Maybe it does exist. I just haven't found it, but you know, what are the final results of your guys poll? Because it was pretty on the money and there were a few, you know, that just, um, you know, Hartford, I think was one of them that maybe you, like in the tens that you're like, huh, like this is really effing good. And Oh, I, I was at that uh, show. That was fantastic. Yeah. I love it. Awesome. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, but, um, yeah, that's, 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 um, yeah. It, so there was a lot of that, you know, there was just a lot of listening and, and, you know, I'll mention this just because you guys know your stuff, like, you know, the challenge I think really with this book and, and, you know, it's, you know, you kind of brought it up yourself with, um, you know, your listenership is, you know, this band has many different audiences, you know, they have, um, they have the diehard fanboy audience They have the more casual, you know, people They have the, the lapsed kind of fans who were just there in the nineties. And many times when I was writing this, I just had to stop and say like, who is this actually for? You know, at first, it was a very insider baseball kind of thing. It was, you know, really meant to be like, you know, almost a deadhead kind of book that, that was just super in depth and super, um, you know, detailed. And, you know, at a certain point, and I, and I can go through this with you guys, I realized that, you know, that, that can be written and, and maybe it will, it should be written, but their story really is so broad. Um, and, and it really did touch on so many points in history that, you know, you just forget about or you're surprised by that. I thought, um, you know, this, this could be a book for people who have never 
heard anything by them. You know, like that. You sure. know, I, I don't think that that's the core audience. But I, 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 I struggled at times with the question of like, you know, is everyone who has going to read this like have they heard binaural? Like, you know, probably. But, you know, like, what is, you know, how do you explain that to someone who doesn't know the first thing about them? And and that's really where, um, you know, it just kind of changed. So we were, we were actually thankful to have Ronan as a guest on uh, the holiday party stream. And again, just talking about how the popularity of the book and, and very high uh, reviews, a lot of people speaking very, very highly of it. Uh, and you know, a lot of positive reaction, which is great. Cause you don't get that a lot from the Pearl Jam mm-hmm. universe. Yeah. And if you're, if you're in Seattle, go check out, uh, easy street records. It's I think, I think it's, yeah. said it's got a, got a nice uh, little front display there, but yeah, I mean, I, I really wanted to talk about jawbreaker, but it just wasn't the right time, <laughs> but, uh, that, that'll, that'll be on a, on a, on my other podcast, but, uh, no, yeah, having having fallen up with Ronan was great. It was it was we thank him again for taking the time and it's it's always great to talk to him. We I really hope we, again we can follow up with him uh next year when the when the shows come around again. Absolutely. Yeah, good good voice to have on the show for sure. So, this was um kind of speaking you you mentioned Easy Street and uh uh the guy that that told us that his uh display was on at, at Easy Street. His name is Dukes. He's one of our patrons and it was during one of our just random meetups that we kind of do sometimes on Zoom that we were just talking about the book and we were talking about, you know, PJ20 and what we were going to do for it. And he mentions, hey, why don't you get the Freels to come on? And I said, hey, that would be great. How do we do that? And he sent an email and thankfully we got both Rick and Chris who are both incredibly nice sweet people that were so gracious to do this and even afterwards were just so thankful that we were able to give them the spotlight rick even said he doesn't do this sort of thing that he doesn't go on podcasts and talk about mike and talk about pearl jam but having this and you know getting to sort of celebrate and remember the 30 years was was very special to them because really you know what what people don't realize is that you know maybe they think hey the frills were part of shadow and and rockford and and some of the other groups that mike were in but really like they've been best friends for 40 years now something like that and they've been a part of mike's life for longer than than mike probably can remember you would think yeah I so think they talked about like their families getting together like, yeah and, like and yeah. mike living with them mm-hmm. and sleeping on their couch mm-hmm. and yeah so the, the, it's it's family they're they're not just they're it's not a friendship it's a brotherhood and it was it was just great to hear all that and and it really got to show in some sort of light what kind of a person mike is and uh and put him in such amazing light too that he's exactly who we have always pictured him and expected him to be. So this uh, story that we're going to play here is from talking about the off-ramp show. And we did a lot of coverage from the off-ramp on Patreon, and we did this episode as well. And uh, this, look, they they remember this stuff, and they were there. And uh, just hearing them kind of reflect and look back on it, boy... It's good stuff. I'll just let them take it away because there's nothing much I can say to, to, to do this justice. So here's both Chris and Rick talking a little bit about the off ramp, the first ever Pearl Jam show. 
you have to remember everything that, you know, the timeline is such a big part. I mean, yeah. Then that was the other thing with recording with Stone. It wasn't so much about the songs. I was also just sort of like as a friend, like I was so proud of him that he had kind of risen to the occasion after Andy passing away. I mean, a lot of guys would have put their, guitar in, a, give, put their guitar in a case and yeah. sort of given up for a few years. And also, I was also just very uh, happy that he was able to get Jeff back in the mix. And I think Mike was very key to that. I'm not sure. Yeah. He really talking about that but yeah so then you get to the show and then you know there's a fair amount of people i think like rick said it wasn't totally packed but there's a good amount of people but the people that are there know them and there's just so much uh they're there for a reason yeah, yeah there's so much there pent excitement yeah. and there's just a lot of like we love you we don't want you to fail and please don't suck, <laughs> you know, like, because, you know, I had just met this guy. Ed, I mean, I'd heard Mike played me a cassette of him. Yeah. Before I knew what Eddie was going to sound like. But yeah, we, we heard the you, tape of him. You Mama just weren't. Uh, no, I think he. Just I don't think it was called that then. No, I think he just played me alive. I think I just heard one yeah. song. OK, yeah, there was yeah. actually I think along with the um, uh, the myth of the mama son. I think there was another demo of Ed just doing his own thing on acoustic. There too. was, and I think that's mm. the one that Mike played for us. No, no, I, break... no I, heard the one, I heard the one with him from our demo we did. It was just a okay. lie. And, uh, but anyway, so they come out and they do release and it was so perfect and incredible. And Ed was voice was so perfect that, and I was telling somebody this is just like, it kind of didn't matter what they did after that. It was, they, they'd hit it out of the park. I mean, you kind of mm. knew it was going to be great and, you know, right. And, and obviously they did a bunch of great songs afterwards and ended up on their first record, but just right away, that first song was so perfect. And, and also ballsy. I mean, there weren't many bands that were coming out, kicking off their show with slow songs. I you know? was right. going to mention that. Yeah. Cause that's and a lot of people do that now. A lot right. of people do that now. We used yeah. to do that, you know, that trend. Yeah, my my one of the bands my brother and I had easy that became give we we would do it. Uh, my wife's band Lazy Susan would do it. You know, um, it was a bold move. You know, very brave. I mean, usually would come out with like your most kick-ass fast yeah. song. You know, every, yeah. everybody's running around hyper and letting you know what they got. You know, they're really showing off their musical ability. <laughs> yeah. You know, and <laughs> and they they came out with that, and it was just it was like I. It, it was a tearjerker then, and then I when they did the home shows, they did it uh, pretty early in the set, and yeah. I had kind of this flashback to that, and it was kind of a tearjerker too. It was just like there will always be something about that song that really was uh, perfect. You know, it was just a perfect introduction to what they were about and what he what his vocals were going to be capable of. You know, to me. Wow, and that's I mean that's that's incredible that on first listen you know i think we talked about it because we we did the the off-ramp show in in uh, in full coverage um yeah. and we talked about just how first bands whenever whenever you go on stage for the first time you're nervous you know yep. you're looking out into the crowd there's some people you know some people you're trying to impress people and and you're trying to almost do too much and yep. you know play it, too fast <laughs> yeah right like all right run out of breath. always yeah. always run on stage <laughs> like you guys ready are you guys ready like things like that and it just seems like like the opposite s- for them almost yeah. that that sports yeah. cliche act like you've been there before right that's yeah. what this is well i think oh, it's yeah. also kind of 
coming out of the death of Andy and that whole yep. the whole dream of getting a record deal, which even back when they got a record deal, it was still kind of unheard of to get a record deal in Seattle. And I think them coming out of that death, which was really hard and on the whole scene, because we all believed Andy was going to go places. And so I think that's probably another reason why they were coming at it from a different place and having a new singer, trying something different, you know, and, uh, you know, Ed was totally different than anybody else in Seattle at the time. Like his, his approach, it almost reminded me of Michael Stipe in a way, like his, his whole approach to being on stage on that first show was completely unique to what anybody else was doing in Seattle at the time, probably because he wasn't from here, you know? Yeah. yeah I always remember, I always remember when, he, when I met at, when I met with the bar, he had like a hat and it seemed like he had like a, a, like a jacket and like two or three shirts on it. And it was really funny because he kind of came on and like little by little, he just kept taking more and more clothes. Party. <laughs> <laughs> Which you have to remember too, in Seattle, it was kind of the opposite of that. I mean, everybody would come on in like uh, shorts and maybe right away they'd have their shirt off or like a yeah. t-shirt. I'm just you thinking know, Chris Cornell. Chris right Cornell. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. would, would, it was the opposite. You would come out, you know, with, very little clothing on because it was going to be hot and uh and uh so right away when i met him he kind of struck me as a very different style of person and it was funny right. I, I can't remember if it was that time that i met him or the the next time i met him he said to, he looked at me and he said oh i heard about you two brothers <laughs> like he, <laughs> he, he he had heard about the Friel brothers like he he laughed he said he said oh i know about the Friel brothers <laughs> Yeah. So right. I think Mike must Mike must have told them some uh, the funny, right. Uh, right. Uh, Very funny shenanigans of living together with us, you know. Again, it was it was so amazing to have people on the podcast who were at that first show. I mean, yeah. How how special was that? But again, one of the things that was kind of lost in this year, and I think one thing that we'll look back on is the the whole PJ thirty thing. You know, thirty years since the off ramp, mm-hmm. we we didn't get a big celebration from the band we couldn't you know that we we don't know what they what they would have done what they had planned so it was it was nice to kind of celebrate that for a minute and and talk to those guys who were actually there and lived and we you know we were able to kind of break some news in that episode which which you'll have to go back and listen to but yeah it was they it was a great listen absolutely they and they 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 were just so easygoing and that's again that's the whole theme of this just such great stories it that just kind of like fills in the whole picture of of pearl jam and the things that we talk about absolutely absolutely and for all these this is kind of like this is a preview obviously a clip show and uh, if you want the full thing there wherever you found this episode you can probably find those episodes and go out listen to those if 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 you love great interviews about you know people just speaking fondly in their memories of Pearl Jam then you have nine of them right there but uh, we're about to share a clip from something that wasn't on our podcast what could that have been yeah we were uh, actually you know ties in we were we were approached by uh some of the black circle people to you know ask if we wanted to to take part in one of the uh one of the EB uh live stream pre-shows and and we jumped at the chance and then it turns out that there was there was a very special guest that was able to make it. Yeah, and uh we it was literally like an hour before the uh the little live stream started and they said, "Hey, Jill's going to be there. Want to ask her something?" Uh yeah. Okay, great. That that would be awesome. And we just got to speak to Jill Vetter and and it was it was really great because, you know, we we, we kind of know who Ed is and and I think Jill in the last handful of years has had 
much more of a public presence and you kind of know her as a mother and you know her and what she's done for uh, such organizations like she helped start EB research organization and she uh, she does wonderful uh, work with every every mother counts as well and a couple other uh, places she does uh, charitable work for and it, it was just great to see that in motion and see everything happen because everything that happened after that was so fantastic so i'm just gonna play i'm just gonna play the whole thing just the whole interaction with jill and and just our you know we i asked a question you asked a question and uh we you know went back and forth a little bit which is great one thing that i'm curious about is for the families that are out there that are just learning that they have a child with eb um, and they maybe they live in an underpopulated area. Maybe they live in a state that um, doesn't have a lot of doctors that uh, that treat EB. How can they find communities, people, other people that are like-minded, other people that share uh, the same stories, that share share the same lifestyle, that they can meet together, talk to each other, share treatment, share uh, doctors. Uh, how can, how can they get together and meet, meet with each other and, and just become like part of a community together? Right. So that's a good question. A few, um, you know, several years ago when it was still super unheard of, um, these babies are born that you pulled them out of the womb and oftentimes their skin is shedding off. And there's been stories, I've heard tons of them of the doctors had no clue what it was and you're kind of sent home and left to your own devices. And, a good friend of mine, her name's Jennifer, she just passed away a few years ago and she lived to be about 34 years old. And her dad would tell me stories of like, I just had to make it up. Nobody knew what to do. I had to figure out how to bandage her. I had to, you know, they had no clue. Um, so it feels good to know now that people are learning a lot about EB and it's becoming more popular. And I know that we've just been working with Amazon on um, creating a database, like a, a patient database, so that if your child is born with this, you will be able to go to this database, find other families just like you, information, doctors, treatments, um, kind of all of the things. So the more awareness we get out and the more that people finally learn what EB is, um, God forbid you're born with a, a child like that, we are... Um, at least for the first time ever being able to develop this special database that all the patients will go into and you can find people just like you. So we're working on it. Keep working. That's much to be done, right? Yes. Much to be done. John, how you doing, buddy? Doing great. Thanks. Thank you. And nice to meet you, Jill. I wanted to ask if, uh, if you've had a chance to hear this, uh, this black circle record, what do you think of it? Have they been able to send you a copy it. of it? And I, I, I do. I think it's so great and loved hearing it. I mean, I would always tune into their shows yeah. when they play over, you know, this whole quarantine time. When did I first figure out about you guys? Maybe it was like March or? Yeah, March. After Dance of the Clairvoyance. Yeah, yeah it was. Uh, yes. Well, yeah, uh, um, no. Yeah, when did the, the, the live stream for Rizzoli, right? I guess so. Or maybe after Clairvoyance. I think it was in between the, the release of the Clairvoyance yeah. video and uh, the show for Zoe. Yeah. Zoe, yeah. Yeah. So I, I obviously love all the, the covers of, of the PJ stuff. But then once you started playing more and more of your, your songs, I mean, there's a few of them that I'm like, this could be, I mean, 
you know, if I didn't know that you guys wrote it and I didn't really know it. Don't say it. Don't say it. That's a song. It's so good. Really, really good. So, yeah. What was the quote from Ed when he uh, when he went to the bathroom, heard it over the the speakers? He thought it was his. <laughs> uh, he, probably, I can't remember now. We're we're usually having some cocktails while listening, so I don't remember. It's it's been a year. <laughs> well, um, well, actually, uh, JV was the uh, the first person to ever have the record yeah. uh, wow. because we we sent it to her and Ed first, and then um, then we got them and we sent them out to everybody else. But she had the first actual press, wow. right? And then uh, now the band has finally gotten it, by the way, because they didn't even have the record. Uh, it's, it was produced in, uh, and manufactured in the U.S. because it was uh, less expensive to do it there than in yep. Brazil. Yep. So we finally had a shipment come to Brazil. <laughs> so, <laughs> you got your record now? <laughs> Final? Well, I might need to send it back. I feel like I need some autographs on that, please. Oh, right. Oh, oh right. of course. Shit, so. Now that they've got to, uh, the yeah. <laughs> You'll have to wait until they can get up here and tour next year, right? Wow. That's <laughs> <laughs> there is a deal in the works right now, Jay. Yeah, yeah that's the <laughs> plan. That's the plan. Yeah, I mean, it was it was such a pleasure to, to be able to talk to Jill and to talk about EB. And again, you know, we, we mentioned... Kenny's website, therunfreely.org. Again, if, if you're still in the holiday giving spirit, it'd be great to go to ebresearch.org and mm -hmm. donate to them. I think that live stream that that we were on the pre-show for, the one that Black Circle did with with Ed and all all those people, I think according to this, it raised almost two million dollars for EB Research. Wow. So, yeah, they, That's incredible. I think they they've said you know it's just a matter of that there's going to be a cure at some point. It's just a it's not an if, it's a when. So, yeah, right. definitely. Again, like I said, this is the time of year to do it. If, if, if you're able to, it, it, that'd be a great thing to do is go and uh, and donate to the EB research if you haven't already. Absolutely, absolutely. So like I said, lots of great stories, lots of great guests that we've had on this whole entire year. We've, we've sort of turned some chicken shit into chicken. I wanted to say chicken salad, but I'm not a big fan of chicken salad, so I'm just going to say big roast chicken. Uh, you know, all awesome stuff that really has happened in 2020 during a year that outside of this podcast hasn't been very awesome. And obviously with news cycles and just, you know, being able to be out in public and things that could have happened and didn't happen. It just all, it all sucked. And hopefully it's all gone in 2021 and maybe we'll continue to, to get these guests. And, you know, we're working on some guests for July, uh, January. We're working on some guests for January and hopefully they'll, they'll come through. And when we know, you'll know. And, uh, yeah, it sh should be a good time, but let's, uh, let's kind of clue them in on what's going to be our 2021 series. Cause every year we seem to put together a different series for you guys. So John, you want to tell them what we're doing in 2021? Yeah. So after, after going all around the world, we, we kind of had our, our Wizard of Oz moment, and we kind of realized that there's no place like home. So we're, we're going to be doing uh, uh, something called the Seattle Series. And uh, we're going to be taking uh, the first show of every month, and we're going to do a, a hometown show, a Seattle show. So we're going we're gonna to start at the beginning, and this will be a great opportunity. You know, we for the the, the crowds are going to be amazing the the set list the banter is going to be great because they're they're in their hometown and i i can't wait i'm looking forward to this especially this one that we're going to do next week absolutely this one is a famous one it happened on the day they released 10 
And <laughs> believe it or not, we've been doing this podcast near three years now. We have never done a 1991 show. Ooh. Long time yeah. coming. It won't be, it won't it be the last. It won't be. I think, you know, maybe along with that, we'll start doing some 1991 stuff over on Patreon. And then maybe we'll uh, we'll add some to the list because they're short. Like some of these are seven songs long. Yeah. So we can easily do like a Hollywood Palladium show or something like that and, and add it in. But, uh, you know, obviously a lot of those bootlegs are scarce and a lot of the quality of the bootlegs aren't very good. So we'll... Uh, you know, this is one that we at least have and we can, you know, we can dig through and, and lots of just great, great moments from this. So we will start with that. And uh, a lot of this year is also going to be the year of the patron where we're just going to be able to have some guests on and talk about their experiences, going to see them live. And there's going to be a lot of interesting shows. There's going to be some popular shows. There's going to be some shows that maybe aren't even on your radar. So we'll go through the gambit. We'll kind of go through the gauntlet a little bit of uh, some of their, you know, more obscure shows in their, in their catalog. What do you think? How do you, how do you think, what do you think about that? Perfect. Yeah. I can't wait. The the best part of this is getting those stories and getting those firsthand experiences, like you said. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to it for sure. Okay. Thank you all for tuning in in 2020. This may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, I miss you already. I miss you always. Nothing more to say, but see you next year. Bye, everybody. Who's got the plane to trip down with the mean of a snap? Who's out in shirts? I can tell you that this is no lie. Well, stay on behind the stars, it's right, there will be all the talk, give it good night.